It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's Live in the Bream with the host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. I have been fascinated by this case, and you are going to hear from an expert on it today. Steve Epstein is a litigation partner. So this is a guy who has been practicing law, but also somehow found time to write amazing true crime stories that really dig into these headline makers. And we're so excited today to have him on Live in the Bream. His newest book, Extreme Punishment, uh, is about... I'll read the cover. A chilling true story of an acclaimed law professor, Dan Markell's murder. And he was a professor at Florida State where I went to law school. Steve, great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Shannon. This story, when it first broke, was so confusing. So many things about it just didn't add up, didn't make sense. Tell us a little bit about what happened and how the story that you unraveled, uh, how you came to discover what really went on. Well, what happened was first discovered by Dan Markell's next door neighbor who heard something that sounded like firecrackers next door. He was sitting on his love seat in his living room with his wife. They're they're both in their 70s. They're basically retired and they're planning their next trip, which is taking place in a few days. Um, And um, this is literally how the book begins. Jim springs up from the love seat, looks out the window and tries to figure out what's going on and sees a small light colored car at the far end of Dan Markell's driveway. And it looks like it's sitting there still. And all of a sudden it lurches toward the road and it looks like it's trying to get away from something. And Jim immediately suspects something's wrong. That car did something and he runs over to Dan's home. And when he first gets there, he sees that the the garage door is up. Dan's car is in the garage and the car is running. And he says, oh, it's probably nothing. And he goes back to his house before it going any further. But five minutes later, he still hadn't seen Dan's car come down the driveway, which he felt was really odd. And he said, okay, something really is wrong. And he goes back over there and he gets up to the driver's side door and the window is shattered. There's a bullet hole in the glass and Dan's head is bloody and his head is rocking from one shoulder to the other. And it becomes immediately clear to this next door neighbor, Jim Geiger, that Dan had been shot in the head. And that's how this whole thing unfolds starting on July 18th. 2014. He died the next day at Tallahassee Memorial Hospital. And listen, I grew up in Tallahassee. It's not that there aren't like any city. There are towns, uh, there are pockets that, you know, are more prone to crime. I mean, they have, you know, statistics that are different than other sections of the city. Everything I heard about this case at the beginning was just so strange. Obviously, someone being murdered is horrific, but it just seemed out of character for the neighborhood, for what we knew about Dan, you know, it just wasn't one of those situations that immediately made any kind of logistical sense. Yeah, law professors don't get shot in the head in the in their driveway uh, very often. And uh, this was Benton Hills, as you indicated, it was an upscale neighborhood in Tallahassee. Um, it made no sense. Dan, you know, wasn't a gangster, wasn't a criminal, didn't have known enemies. Uh, it was the summer. There wasn't law school going on. He was uh, he literally just got home from the gym when he pulled into his driveway. And dropped his boys off. They were toddlers. They dropped them off at uh, preschool earlier that morning. It was kind of a normal summer day. And yet um, somebody had driven to his home, as we now know, all the way from Miami to put two bullets in his head. So 
obviously one of the first things that police do is look at, you know, everyone around them, everyone in their sphere. And what quickly started to make headlines is that he was apparently in a custody dispute. So how does that thread lead us to these folks driving from Miami? And it wasn't an ordinary custody dispute. It wasn't mom saying, I want the kids more and dad saying, no, I want the kids more. This was a custody dispute that had its roots in something called relocation. So Wendy Adelson, Dan Markell's ex-wife by this time, they had been divorced for about a year. Um, her roots were in um, Broward County in Florida, in Coral Springs. And her Just family far was south. In, yeah, yes, hours away way, for people way, who wouldn't know. Seven hours mm-hmm. away by car. Um, and the beginning stages of their separation, she was telling her husband, I want to move back home and I want to take the boys with me. And he was saying no over my dead body. So she Mm. filed a petition for what's called relocation to get permission from a family court judge to take her two boys with her and relocate to South Florida. She claimed to have a job lined up. She was also teaching on the Florida State faculty. That's the amazing thing about this. You know, one Florida State law professor having her family supposedly, which is what we now think happened, um, hire hitmen to kill her her law professor husband uh, because what happened in June of 2013 was she lost that hearing. She lost mm-hmm. the petition to relocate with her children to South Florida. So she couldn't lawfully move them to South Florida and her family desperately wanted her to move. And even more desperately, her mom and her dad wanted their grandkids much closer to them. They were coming up almost every other weekend uh, to be with, um, with Wendy in Tallahassee. And that seven hour drive was grating on them. and. Uh, The rest, as they say, is history. They took matters into their own hands. That's at least what um, two trials have tended to show. So I I think for most of us, we think, okay, custody disputes are terrible. Many of us have been, I'm the child of divorce. You know what that's like. Or if you've been through a divorce, it's really difficult for everybody involved. But how does it go the next step to some kind of conversation with somebody somewhere about, well, let's take out one of the parties so that we can have the family in the place or the way that we want to. How did police begin to, and I got to think from the beginning, they were digging into the possibility that this domestic tension and dispute may have in some way been connected to Dan's murder. Well, Wendy herself was picked up at a local restaurant, uh, Mosaic. You may have been there since mm-hmm. you're a Tallahassee. I actually have. Uh, she was having lunch with a couple of friends, and um, a Tallahassee police investigator named Craig Isom picked her up and brought her into the station for questioning. And she, during her five-plus-hour interview, brought up how much her family hated Dan, uh, the fact that they had gone through this relocation battle and that she had lost, the fact that her parents wanted her to be in South Florida. Um, and she talked a lot about her brother, a guy named Charlie Adelson. Um, who they would quickly start learning had many antisocial behaviors, even though he was a wealthy and very successful periodontist. He also hung out with a lot of folks from the other side of the tracks at his gym. He did steroids. He was into bodybuilding. Um, And um, Wendy herself in that initial interview said, my brother, he always made bad jokes. He said, I got you this TV, which, by the way, was being fixed that very morning at her home. I got you this TV because it was cheaper than hiring a hitman. Um, and so the okay. notion of a hitman being hired by Charlie Adelson was interjected into the police's investigation literally the day Dan was shot, within hours of his shooting. 
And lo so, and behold, that's exactly what prosecutors uh, have now said happened, and they've already convicted several people for that. Mm-hmm. So one of the first questions, of course, when you start to hear these bits of the story are, did Wendy know about it? Did she direct it? Was this something that her brother and others did absent her knowledge or approval of something like this? And that's not a question that has yet been answered. And uh, there may well be things that both prosecutors Uh, police investigators and the FBI, who, by the way, has been involved from day one, they may have some things close to the vest that we in the public and certainly Mm -hmm. me as the author of this book aren't privy to. So I I can't address that question. Wendy has not been charged. She has testified in two different trials, and she was the, the, the biggest media spectacle at both trials, where individuals who were sort of the underlayer uh, of this crime were in fact convicted of killing Dan. We'll have more Live in the Bream in a moment. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Again, we're talking to Steve Epstein, who's the author of Extreme Punishment, the chilling true story of acclaimed law professor Dan Markell's murder. So many twists and turns. You've done such a deep dive on this. You mentioned there were multiple people who have been brought in and convicted. So tell us about the players as this story came together. Okay, so the two central players actually were best friends growing up in a poor neighborhood in Miami Beach. Their names were Luis Rivera and Sigfredo Garcia. Luis Rivera became a member of the Latin Kings when he was 10 years old and was himself a primero or the head of the North Miami tribe of the Latin Kings. Um, His best friend since childhood was a guy named Sigfredo Garcia. And ultimately, the two of them drove the seven hours on uh, July 16th, uh, got there, scoped out the scene on the 17th, and ultimately did the job on the 18th and then drove back. Um, and why were they doing this? Well, as it turned out, um, the boyfriend of of um, a woman named Catherine McBanawa, who happened to be the mother of Sigfredo Garcia's two children, it just so happened that boyfriend was none other than Charlie Adelson. So Catherine McBanawa, mm who was the mother of Sigfredo Garcia's two children, and Sigfredo Garcia was the gunman who actually put the two bullets in Dan Markell's head. Um, The mother of his two children was in an active romantic relationship with Wendy Adelson's brother, Charlie, the day this crime occurred. Mm. And her trial occurred last May, her second trial, uh, there was a hung jury, the first trial, she was tried together with Sigfredo Garcia. Luis Rivera turned state's evidence on his very best friend since childhood, and the person he called his wife, even though they were never legally married, Catherine McBanawa. He was the star witness at trial number one. Uh, Sigfredo Garcia was convicted. A hung jury on Catherine McBanawa. They tried her again. That was the first trial was October 2019. The second trial was May 2022. Obviously, COVID intervened. And in May 2022, Catherine McBanawa was convicted for first degree murder for basically arranging the hit at the behest of the Adelson family. What has she said? about what happened well she's testified twice under oath that she knows nothing whatsoever about what happened although she now believes having seen all of the evidence made available through discovery that charlie adelson was behind this murder plot she knows nothing about it that's been her public testimony that said in late no in late november just a few weeks ago uh, she came to tallahassee from her prison cell 
in order to give a proffer statement to prosecutors. It certainly looks like she's in the process now, finally, after two trials, after denying under oath twice that she had anything to do with the murder. It looks like she's in the process of spilling the beans on everything that Charlie had told her and everything that she did on his behalf. Hmm. So how does that benefit her now, now that she's been through her two trials? There is the potential that she could get a deal that is better than than the the rest of her life in prison, which is what she's been sentenced to. So depending upon how things play out and depending upon whether she has information to share with the government that the government doesn't already know or have at its disposal, um, she potentially could get a new lease on life. Hmm. Okay. So what is still to be done in this case? You say Wendy hasn't been charged. She may never be. Um, But what is left in trying to solve all the pieces of this puzzle? Well, one thing that we haven't talked about was a very sophisticated sting operation that the FBI launched in April of 2022. They had Catherine McVanna's phone wiretapped and they had Charlie Adelson's phone wiretapped. And these days, those are cell phones that are wiretapped. Mm -hmm. Um, And while they were wiretapped, they did what's called a bump where they had a um, an FBI undercover agent literally stumble into Donna Adelson, Wendy Wendy's mother, uh, on the streets of South Beach and hand her a note saying, basically, pay us $5,000 because Louis Rivera, who's currently in jail, well, he hasn't been taken care of like the Tuto, which was Sigfredo Garcia, and Katie families have been taken care of. And you need to take care of him by paying this $5,000. That started a chain reaction of phone calls. Donna immediately called Charlie. Charlie immediately called Catherine McBanawa. Catherine McBanawa immediately called her quote unquote husband, Sigfredo Garcia, and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And they developed a ton of evidence associated with the conspiracy. And the very first thing Donna Adelson said when Charlie asked her, who does this involve? What is this about? She says, probably the two of us. Um, so immediately, Donna mm. Adelson appears to recognize that this is a shakedown because of what the two of us did to Dan Markell. And n- notably, she has not been charged yet either, eight and a half years later. So one would think she is likely the next domino to fall because of that sting operation and some of the evidence that was generated, including a meeting that was surveilled between Catherine McBenawa and Charlie Adelson that ultimately they were able to enhance the recording of sufficiently to hear Charlie's words where he said things like, well, why didn't they know it was me? Um, They ultimately were able in April of 2022 to arrest Charlie at his Fort Lauderdale home, bring him up to Tallahassee where he's been sitting in jail since. And today, as we speak, they first announced his trial date, which will be in late April 2023. So he's the next one to be tried What we don't know in the meantime is the information that Catherine McBanawa shared with the government Mm. during that proffer Mm. statement and how it will play out and whether it might lead to additional arrests before Charlie is tried or whether it might lead to plea negotiations with Charlie Adelson himself. Mm -hmm. So Donna, who would be the ex-mother-in-law of Dan Markell, the professor who was murdered, has she testified or said much publicly? She has not said anything publicly. The only words of hers that have been captured are those that have been captured surreptitiously through wiretapped recordings. And some of those were played in each trial. And um, it certainly seems like she has something to hide. She eventually called that undercover agent directly and said during an eight minute conversation where he got pressing her saying, you know exactly what I'm talking about. She told him over and over again, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
And although Charlie suggested that they go ahead and pay the $5,000 blackmail, she told the um, undercover agent, we're not paying this money. If you want to get money, there's a reward out there. Go get the reward. So she's you know, kept a pretty stiff upper lip, but presumably mm-hmm. over the last eight and a half years, she's been walking on eggshells and looking over her shoulder, not knowing when she might be the next domino to fall. So we have people who have been convicted of being directly involved in the murder and facilitating the murder, but still out there um, yet to be decided. We have Charlie, who is the brother, former brother-in-law of the murdered professor. He's awaiting trial. We have the ex-wife and the ex-mother-in-law who have not been charged, but may be part of the conversation moving forward. Does that about? And, and there's also dad. Correct? I mean, there's also dad. Yes, um, the ex-brother-in-law. Very- very his name is harvey adelson he is currently 78 years old so uh whereas um wendy uh, wendy's mom is 72 so there's a significant age difference between them so he's had health issues over the years whether they go after dad it remains to be seen as well he seems to be the least likely one the one that they would go after but certainly the whole family after the bump was involved in plotting and coordinating what to do they were surveilled for several weeks after that bump and there was an incident where charlie donna and harvey were all sitting around their, the pool at the icon condominium tower in south beach where harvey and donna were living plotting out strategy about how to deal with this blackmailer so harvey was at the very least involved in that and there are certainly accessory after the fact charges that could be brought against any of these people for facilitating um the cover-up of the murder and there was a cover-up um so after um, the murder, um, within a couple of months, Catherine McBanawa um, is on the payroll of the family dental practice called the Adelson Institute. And she received checks every two weeks, um, 44 straight paychecks until Sigfredo Garcia was arrested. And then all of a sudden, she's no longer in the Adelson Institute payroll. She wound up with a breast augmentation that um, prosecutors and investigators believe was paid for by the Adelson family. She wound up with the Adelson family's Lexus. Um, And on and on, cash deposits that are very hard to explain that were as large in the first five weeks after the murder as they were in the entire prior year. So it looks like they were doing their level best not only to keep uh, her quiet, um, but after she was finally arrested in uh, in 2016, the thought was she would flip, she would squeal right away. And for six years, she didn't do that. And the thought is that the Adelson family kept on paying for her children so that it made no sense for, for her to squeal, spill the beans, and risk the financial fortunes that the Adelson family had to offer for her children with both, both her and Sigfredo Garcia in jail standing trial. Well, speaking of children, what has happened to the two boys who were at the center of this initial custody battle? Do we know? We, we know a lot. And one of the first things that happened is they, first of all, Wendy Adelson, within two days of the murder, moved from Tallahassee back to South Florida. That relocation that she was denied mm-hmm. in court lawfully. Well, after two bullets were in her ex-husband's head, she got to do exactly what she wanted and what her family wanted. She moved to South Florida with those two boys whose names are Benjamin and Lincoln. Uh, They were in South Florida from that day forward, and they've been raised down there by Wendy, and oftentimes, because Wendy was working, uh, by Donna Adelson, a former kindergarten teacher who is right smack dab in the middle of this plot, uh, was raising these two boys, um, and they are now 13 and 12. 
Um, their names were changed within a couple of months of the murder by Wendy. Mm. So their last names are now not Markell, they're Adelson. Uh, the middle, the, the the older boy Benjamin's middle name was changed from Am Amachai, which was to honor his uh, paternal grandmother, to a different middle name. Um, and uh, within a couple of years of the murder, Wendy stopped allowing visitation between Dan's parents, Phil and Ruth Markell, and their grandsons. Mm -hmm. And that lasted until the most recent trial, when they finally allowed an hour or so of visitation with Phil and Ruth Markell and these two boys, who, as I said, are now 13 and 12. Yeah, and that's the heartbreaking thing is that they're caught in the middle of this entire disaster. Young, innocent um, kids who are growing up against this backdrop, as it sounds like the legal action may not be over. We know, at least with respect to Charlie, there's still that trial coming next year. Um, Steve, will you uh, publish or update what happens in the next chapter for all these folks? I don't believe so. I, the story that I tell, first of all, it's 530 pages. It's pretty long mm -hmm. as is. But the story that I tell is the one of Dan and Wendy uh, becoming a couple, uh, getting married, having children, becoming law professors, and then what caused the deterioration of their marriage, uh, the bitter battles that they had. Um, in, in It wasn't only custody and relocation, it was financial battles. Uh, and the seeds that were sowed that eventually ended in murder, and then the investigation to figure out what happened and the first two trials. I think there's enough for the readers in what I've written to fully understand the story, even though, as they say, the rest of the story remains to be written. Um, I think that will play out in the pages of the Tallahassee Democrat, uh, mm -hmm. on documentaries like Dateline and in other places. I think I've done a, as good a job as I can laying the foundation for what it was that happened in Dan Markell's driveway on July 18, 2014, and why it happened. Well, again, the book is Extreme Punishment, The Chilling True Story of Acclaimed Law Professor Dan Markell's Murder by Steve Epstein. Thank you so much for visiting us on Living the Bream. We will continue to track this uh, just headline-grabbing case. It's been an honor and a pleasure, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.